0: Welcome to Scavenger's Horde. We're a stars podcast, offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney+, Plus or a weird legends novelisation you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: This is episode 175, and it's 18th of February, 2022. We like to kick things off by recommending a piece of media, a book, a film... A show that we've enjoyed and want to put on people's radar. So, Kirsty, what would you like to highlight?
1: Well, it feels silly calling these a recommendation because they're obviously very well known and they're probably, they're probably already been read by most Star Wars fans. But <laughs> I'm late to the party. Um, and obviously following the movie, I've read Dune and Dune Messiah
0: oh now. nice awesome yeah so what are your thoughts I'm really curious I, I have my own June story to sh- to share but I'll wait until you've shared your opinion
1: well I'm um, I was already more excited after seeing the first film to, for the sequel because I was impressed by it yeah and now I'm like oh yeah I, I need to I need to see what happens next, <laughs> nice. and, and also how they're going to depict certain things right um because yeah. I'm about to start the next one which i think is called children of dune and that's supposed to get even wilder but the story (laughs) gets weird here okay it's already pretty weird so i'm not gonna pretend i understood everything because it's dune messiah especially is a lot a lot of dialogue and conversation about like political scheming and stuff right strategy and i'm like a lot of this is going over my head so um but the the biggest story that's being told there what surprised me and i'm sure this is like a, again a very well-known thing that has been talked about for decades so just humor me but um it surprised me how much doom messiah reminded me of like the prequels and especially revenge of the sith
0: oh interesting i did yeah, not know that that was the comparison wasn't on my radar at all
1: honestly i would recommend it to people for that alone um, that it just kind of feels like a variant of Revenge of the Sith or like possibly a sequel where the, the, the difference is that Padme agrees to rule with him. Yeah, it's like an AU. So George, George obviously read this and um, I already know, knew that he had read Dune obviously and that had been a big influence on the original trilogy but I didn't realise that Paul was going to be so closely paralleled by Anakin and their story but it's there definitely.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I yeah, like it does make sense now you say it because I'm that lazy person who might have read Wikipedia summaries. Oh of these there you books, go. <laughs> which is very bad. Um so yeah, even though I hadn't heard that specific comparison, now I think about it, now you're pointing that out, I can yeah, I can see that in some of the things that I know happen. Um and yeah, I guess it would also explain the huge emphasis on politics in the prequels. That's perhaps <laughs> Maybe. another like June influence on George. Um, yes, yeah, so I think my June confession that I alluded to earlier is that I've started reading the book June, and I like it's it's really fascinating. You know, it does an amazing job at setting up this world. You know, it's incredibly intricate, but I think that's the thing that's maybe a bit too intricate for me. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. so detail oriented that I just wasn't feeling like the warmth or the emotion really that I think I really like in stories.
1: Oh yeah, there's there's no war. Yeah, there. no, exactly. I think
0: it's quite well known. That's not what you're gonna find in these books, basically. You know, that's not what it's known for, and that's fine. Not every book needs to do that. But yeah, I've just always, I have repeatedly tried to continue, and I've always been defeated by it. Like I am interested in trying again, more seriously. So I'd really like the film, and I particularly want to read Messiah and find out, you know, what actually happens to all these people. Well, I know, but you know, in, in actual detail. <laughs> actually written out as a story um, and yeah because I, I guess one of my questions for you Kirsty would be like having read both novels obviously I know the Villeneuve's film only adapts the first half or like first two thirds maybe of the novel June and then I think the reports are that the next movie will just be the back half of June the novel and having mm. read it do you think that there's enough story left in that book to make a whole second film you know do you reckon they'll need to go into dune messiah as well
1: i think they they could limit it to the first that second half of the dune novel but as i was reading it i was like oh i just wonder how that's going to affect the pacing and things and whether they're going to have to build certain things out right um and then of course messiah jumps like 12 years into the future okay so i do wonder how they're going to depict that and obviously like the way certain relationships evolve and things um what is interesting though about the parallels between this and star wars and again i'm sure (laughs) i'm seriously late to this conversation so i'm like going to be embarrassingly surface level but what's so interesting is that as i said you can see where george has picked a lot of the plot details and kind of like the world building and obvious things like spice as an element that was probably like a, a throwaway nod to dune in the original star wars and then has been built out since then but in terms of like the overall spirit and kind of ethos and even like you know the the messaging of george's story it couldn't be more different yeah so yeah it's pretty fascinating that he took certain things and others are like polar opposite yeah. in a way
0: yeah no that makes sense i guess it's an interesting insight into that creative process isn't it i guess mm. when you're a creative person you need to be a bit of a magpie and get like aspects of your story from all sorts of different places and then magically weave them into a completely new thing mm-hmm. um so yeah no that's really cool
1: yeah um again i'm go- I'm moving on to tv now but this is not a recommendation because it would be like recommending seinfeld or something you know um i'm just i've been catching up with the last few seasons of it's always sunny um I realized that I hadn't watched past season 13. It just kind of slipped off my radar for a few years there. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been watching in between movies. And I realized very recently that the guys started a podcast. So I've been listening to that every Monday. It's so good. I just love those guys so much. So if you're a fan of that show check out the podcast definitely worth your time
0: so what actually is this show is it, it it's always sunny in philadelphia is, yeah uh, okay and what's it actually about so i've heard the title but i know literally nothing about it sorry no don't worry i'm sure this is probably a crazy I'm very self-conscious
1: now because it is like it's, it's it's one of the most successful popular tv shows ever so this is I, and like, i know I'm it's really
0: popular but i think it's that sort of thing you know where Like, and I know plenty of British people have seen the show, okay, so I know plenty of my peers who've seen it and enjoyed it, but I think, you know, it's obviously a bigger phenomenon in America than in the UK. I'm also embarrassed
1: that I'm actually talking about it on a Star Wars podcast, because it is most definitely not (laughs) family-friendly. Okay, no worries. It's fine. We're not a family-friendly
0: podcast, especially. But yeah, just give me like a one-sentence description of what the show is. (laughs) Oh my god.
1: um the worst people in the world who you also somehow love run a dive bar in philadelphia and hijinks ensue i don't know like you could watch you know an episode or two of this show and you will very quickly know whether it's for you or not
0: right sure (laughs) sorry (laughs) oh my god yeah it's one of my favorite
1: shows ever okay nice yeah
0: um, yeah, we might have to give it a try at some point. See if it, um, see. <laughs> which Please report back. I will. Yeah, see which <laughs> camp I'm in. Um, okay. Yeah, and I know you've also seen some movies, right?
1: Yes, I've been in real rom com mode. Um, because obviously it's February, so it's Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and 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 that's on your mind if you're already a fan of that genre. Um, and speaking of, it's always sunny. There was a new rom com that came out on Amazon Prime starring Charlie Day and um Jenny Slate who's another one of my faves and it was just really sweet i was really looking forward to it i'd seen it advertised for a while so i watched it as soon as it was up and um very sweet the premise is that they both are like suddenly broken up with and they meet and realize that they're going through something similar and they kind of scheme to get their exes to break up with the people they're currently dating so that they'll like suddenly realize that they want to be back with them um <laughs> And then you can probably guess <laughs> what happens sure. over the course of that movie. I I just recommend it. It's it's fun.
0: Yeah. So that's I want you back, right? Yep. Okay. Cool. I will add it to my list. I need to watch more light, fun stuff, and that sounds light and fun.
1: So. Yeah. And the, and another rom com that I well I'd rewatch this one, and I know you've seen it as well. Is Down with Love, um, the Hugh McGregor and Renee Zellweger one. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just started watching that because I was like. I was just thinking about all the Kenobi stuff that's been coming out the last week or so. I was like, man, Hugh McGregor has a lot of great films. And I was, you know, a lot of those are kind of like close to my heart. I think I'm going to watch *Milan Rouge
0: next. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I love that one. And Down With Love is so stylish. I remember being really, really impressed just by how it looked you know and how it recreates Mm. the 60s aesthetic it's really really cool so yeah even if you're not a big fan of rom-coms watch it if you're a fan of you know stylish films and fashion and stuff because it's really beautiful
1: yeah and it's it's such sharp writing as well it's really tightly paced all the performances are great um and it's directed by peyton reed There's, there's another star wars connection there yeah um yeah the other thing that I watched is not a (laughs) rom-com but it's the new Steven Soderbergh movie on HBO Max Uh, Kimmy starring Zoe Kravitz really enjoyed that one nice Uh, it's based in Seattle it's kind of like a tech thriller uh, sort of riff on Rear Window and that kind of thing Um, yeah I recommend that one very good
0: yeah, I think it's just come out here on Sky Movies, um which I do have. Um so yeah, I'm going to try and check that one out because it looks really appealing to me, so. You just you yeah. can't
1: go wrong with Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, exactly. And I really love Zoe Kravitz too. I think she's so talented.
1: Yeah, she's really good in this. Like I've always liked her, um but this one she really impressed me. Nice. So, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, that's a really good range of suggestions. Very diverse, typically. (laughs) (laughs) Go from it's always sunny in Philadelphia to June (laughs) and back again. That's great. How about yours? Uh, Yeah, mine are going to seem typically artsy and pretentious, so I'm really (laughs) sorry because... Yeah, like, very few people have heard of these. Oh God, I'm making it sound oh. even worse. Very few people, only the best. Oh. Okay,
1: educators, Rachel.
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, so the first one I'd like to recommend is called The Story of Adele H., Um, which is directed by Francois Truffaut. Um, and this is a film where it's kind of, like, hard to sell people on it because I don't think it's, like, Truffaut's best film by a long shot. So he's quite a famous well-known director you know he's got some really acclaimed films um but there's some like really bizarre directing choices and some really awkward and embarrassing scenes i'm not doing a very good job at selling this (laughs) but basically the main reason to watch it is in my opinion it's a really fascinating story so it's based on a true story about the youngest daughter of the author victor hugo who wrote les mis and the hunchback of notre dame and this youngest daughter, she developed a fixation with this soldier that she was once in a romantic relationship with. And once he broke off of her, she started stalking him. And she took it to incredible extremes because she didn't just stalk him locally. She literally stalked him across the world. So she was living in the Channel Islands and she followed this man to Canada. And then she followed him to, um, I think it's Jamaica or um, somewhere in that general region of the world, you know, literally thousands of miles across the world. And, yeah, it's just pure... It's just my eyes were bugging out of my head watching it, basically, is what I'm trying to say due to the lengths that this poor woman goes to. Mm-hmm. And it's just really sad and awkward and painful to watch sometimes, you know, because you can see how much she's suffering and how unwell she is, you know, mentally. Um, but it's all just held together by this incredible performance by Isabella Gianni, um, who is a really great actress. I've seen her in several things. And this is like my favourite performance from her, possibly ever I just think she's so brilliant in it and yeah she is just fantastic and compelling and she makes you feel for her at the same time as you're horrified by what she's doing you know because the film shows you the toll it's taken and not just on her but on the man she's stalking you know because it's a really really scary situation for him as well obviously and he feels powerless to stop her (laughs) past a certain point you know um so yeah just a really fascinating story and if you like really intense psychological tales i guess it could be for you but i will fully acknowledge that it's a very niche film (laughs) and it won't be for everyone but it was very much for me so yeah if any of that sounds interesting to you i'd recommend it And i think you can stream it on prime in america no not on prime but i think you can rent it right kirsty
1: i think so yeah this sounds like one that i'd have to be in the mood for yeah no, exactly. I believe you that it's good. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, some things you can just throw on, but yeah, yeah, has to be no, the right exactly. time.
0: <laughs> It's no, it's always sunny. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Then the next film, like, getting a bit more mainstream here, it's Sound of the Mountain, directed by Mikio Narusa, um, who's a Japanese director who... I think most of his famous films are from, like, the 40s and the 50s. Um, And I believe this one in particular is from the 50s. Um, And it's basically a family drama. um, And there's a husband and a wife. And the husband is awful, essentially. He's just really unkind and cruel to his wife, even though she's really kind and sweet and accommodating. You know, she's, like, the perfect wife, essentially. But he's just, like, a philanderer, you know, and he has affairs. And he's just a generally unpleasant human being. But the story isn't about their relationship, it's about her relationship with her father-in-law, because the husband and wife share a home with the man's parents, essentially, and she gets on like a house on fire with her in-laws, basically, but there's just this really weird tension, because obviously the in-laws are aware of how horribly the son is acting, and mm. it's kind of like, how do they negotiate that, you know, when it's their son, but they're on the side of the daughter-in-law, you know? yeah um So yeah. it creates a really interesting dynamic. And it's like a really feminist film in a lot of ways, you know, by highlighting how in some situations, you know, the right answer is to not be with this person. It's just exploring all the family dynamics and the influences that, you know, these sorts of strained relationships and tensions have on everyone in that sort of arrangement. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's just really interesting and you can watch it on the Criterion channel in America again. So yeah, it's a very America-centric recommendations season, I'm afraid. Sorry to people elsewhere in the world. But <laughs>
1: I already added this to my list because I've seen you rated it so highly on Letterboxd.
0: Oh, brilliant. Not yeah. to
1: sound like a creep. but No,
0: no, you do not sound like <laughs> a creep. <laughs> That's the whole point of Letterboxd, I think. Um, yeah, so does that sound interesting to you as well? Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, those relationships sound pretty fascinating. You don't see an awful lot of that in films. I'm, I might be wrong if people have recommendations, but in terms of like, navigating those in-law relationships, if your marriage is also struggling, that yeah. sounds... Yeah, pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, no, it really stood out to me as well. So I've seen, like, there's quite a few Japanese films I can think of where they go into arrangements like that, you know, with the parents living at home with the married couple. But I mm. think this is the one that's gone deepest into that, you know, the relationship between the person who's married into the family and their in-laws. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it was really interesting. Um, okay, and then I also saw Black Book, Um, Which is directed by Paul Verhoeven, um, who, you know, has recently done stuff like Elle. He also did Robocop and Starship Troopers. So out of everything I'm recommending, this is probably like the most high profile thing. Um, But I'd just say it's a really well made, entertaining movie. It's about a Jewish woman in Holland in World War Two. And she basically ends up in the company of the Dutch resistance movement against the Nazis in the last days of the war. And she, you know, sent in this kind of like a mole to, like, integrate herself into the Nazi upper echelons, you know, so she can get secrets from them, so she can do spying and stuff. And it kind of spoils things if I go into more detail than that. But, you know, there's lots of tangled relationships and intrigue and double crossing and stuff. So, yeah, it's just a really exciting story. And it's really, really well acted by um, Carice van Houten, who's the... Lead actor in it, and she's just brilliant. Um, I think I'd only seen her in, no, actually, I'd also seen her in a film called Brimstone, in which she was also really good. But most people know her from Game of Thrones, where she plays like the Red Witch, um, the one who you know like seduces Stannis. Yeah, um, she's great. Yeah, no, she and she's great in that. And this is a very different role, and she's really, really fantastic here. So, yeah, check it out if you like her, or if you just like interest in war movies that are about women. Which I always like because there's too many war films that are just about battles and stuff, and yeah, boring.
1: <laughs> I was thinking about Verhoeven a lot this week because it feels like people have, on Twitter have been talking about him endlessly. Because of, um, did you read that New Yorker piece about like sex scenes and Benedetta and stuff?
0: <laughs> um, I didn't see the piece. So I think I've seen it floating around, and I know right. there's been a lot of conversation <laughs> about Benedetta. So,
1: yeah, and yeah. I have not watched the movie yet, but sure. I've seen. You know i've seen basic instinct and i have a <laughs> sense of uh, Hoven's aesthetic and yep. sensibilities and attitudes towards sex and yep. <laughs> i don't know so, some of the comments in that piece were just really funny
0: yeah let's say um some of his sensibilities come across in black book too <laughs> It's, okay it's good it's probably not as extreme as in you know something like benedessa yeah. <laughs> yeah there is stuff that i will not talk about um but yeah let me know if you watch it i'd be curious for your thoughts
1: i will yeah i'll add it to my list cool
0: um and yeah and i think what really took me down the path to watching black book very strangely well, well not that strangely it was the book i read um so obviously i don't really recommend as many books as kirsty so i'm a very slow reader by comparison at least, um, is a book called Light Over the Water by Janina David. Um, And this is a very obscure book, you know, there were like four reviews on Goodreads. No, there are actually four ratings. I think I left the first ever review of this book, which says how obscure it is, you know. Um, But basically it's a sequel to an autobiography called A Square of Sky. And Janina David is a Polish Jewish woman who now lives in the UK and A Square of Sky, so the book that precedes the one I've just read, is about her childhood because she was brought up in lots of privilege and comfort in Poland, you know, she came from a wealthy family. And then obviously, you know, the Jews were horribly persecuted as the Nazis took over and things got worse and worse and they ended up in the Warsaw ghetto. And she was smuggled out, but both her parents died. Um and she only survived because she was sent to like a convent, you know, and like she had to like pretend she was Catholic and everything. Um, and then this book that I've just read, Light Over the Water, it's basically following her as a teenager um, after the war had ended and just going into, you know, what happens next, you know, which I think is just a really fascinating subject matter to me because we do get so many war stories, you know, about what happened during that time. But I think that immediate aftermath of World War Two, you know, and there was all this immense upheaval and so many displaced people, you know, I think there aren't as many stories about that, you know, and it's a bit of like a foggy period of history. So Mm. it was just a really fascinating book to read, to learn a bit more about that time from a very like personal, unique perspective. It's basically like a diary format, you know, so it's not necessarily like a carefully constructed narrative. But I actually liked that so it made it feel really like authentic, you know, and just the truth, you know, her experience as she was living it at the time. And yeah. there's also just lots of little notes about what film she was watching, which is really interesting, you know, because she's watching stuff like um, The Phantom of the Opera with Claude Rains from 1947. You know, she's watching that when it was a new release. <laughs> and it's just so fascinating to see these little notes about what she thought about the film and really just the normality with which she was living her life a lot of the time after having gone through something so intensely traumatic and awful, you know, and the trauma does come up, you know, but because of the way she writes and the type of personality she is she doesn't dwell on it extensively I guess and yeah it's just a really really interesting personal insight into war you know and how you cope in the aftermath of war and what life is like in a strange time so yeah it was really fascinating I really enjoyed it
1: I haven't heard of that one but it does sound really interesting yeah
0: Um, but yeah I think the one to find um, and that everyone should start with is The Square of Sky. Because, like, say, that's the one that tells the beginning of the story. You know, when she was a child, and then what she went through during the war. Mm. Um, and then, if you like that one, you can like become an uber book nerd and find this one.
1: Oh yeah, and another another thing that happened like since we recorded last was all of the Oscar nominations and stuff coming out and that always lights a fire under me for like oh god i've got to catch up on last year's movies oh god yeah
0: there's so many i still haven't seen a bunch of them are there any in particular that you're really eager to watch
1: um there's still a load that i haven't got through yet but i did watch the lost daughter the maggie gyllenhaal one with olivia coleman Mm -hmm. i know you've seen that before haven't you yeah no
0: i thought that was really good especially for a first film it was very impressive really good performances um,
1: it was really good. I think I spoiled myself by reading the novella that it's based on first, though, and that is first person. It's a it's a very um, internal perspective of her. If people have watched the movie, they'll get what I mean. But like of her observing this other family and relating it to her own experiences, um, and I I think I just didn't quite feel like that translated to film because there's always going to be like a limitation on how internal that can be even though olivia Common's performance is obviously fantastic um so yeah i think i made a mistake there sometimes you shouldn't read the thing that something's based <laughs> on first
0: <laughs> yeah no and that makes complete sense i haven't read the book um see so yeah, i obviously have a different like read of the film um but yeah, i'm really fascinated to read the novella now um because yeah, i'm sure it would add lots of layers
1: yeah it's it's really really good and, and challenging as well you know yeah um to kind of yeah, see that that feeling of ambivalence there. Nice.
0: Yeah, I think I really want to watch Coda, um, which I believe is about like a teenager who has like, grown up with deaf parents. And you know she's at a crossroads in her life and she isn't sure whether to go off to the college she wants. And yeah, I know very little about the plot, but I've heard it's really good, basically. And yeah. it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. So hopefully <laughs> they know what they're doing. They don't always, for sure, but they sometimes do.
1: <laughs> yeah, you always feel like, we were talking about this before we started recording, but sometimes when you don't really um, love something that a lot of other people seem to be loving, it's like you feel a bit left out. Yeah.
0: No, it's true. Yeah, it's always a bit of a shame. It's like, oh,
1: what, what did I miss?
0: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> where's the brilliance? <laughs> so yeah, hopefully it is brilliant. We'll find out. Um but, yeah, no, that's great. And we also had an email from one of our listeners, um, H Melton, recommending something for us to watch, Um, which is really cool. And I definitely encourage people to send in the recommendations because, yeah, you know, we can't promise we're going to watch it because busy people. But it's really cool to have this extra stuff put on our radar and potentially on the radar of our listeners. So, yeah, if you have any suggestions, email us at scavengershoard at gmail.com. And, yeah, could you read out the email, Kirsty?
1: Mm-hmm. If you like Jennifer Beals, might I recommend a movie from the 80s called The Bride? It's a dark fantasy that also stars Sting, um, lead singer from The Police. I'm unsure where you may watch in the UK, but in the US it's available for rent $2.99 on Amazon Prime. I hope you get a chance to watch it. Even if you hate it, I still hope you'll watch because hating on a movie can be fun too. In all honesty, I hope you like it though. I admit, I watched, listened to anything dealing with sting as i had a huge crush on him back in the 80s oh so what do you think about the original dune movie then
0: <laughs> those amazing underpants it doesn't get better than that Sting <laughs> in those underpants
1: <laughs> thank you for this recommendation though i hadn't i hadn't heard of this movie and it's um a frankenstein story by the looks of things on wikipedia yes so she's the bride
0: Exactly. So apparently the story, according to the logline on Wikipedia, no spoilers, is the film star Sting is Baron Charles Frankenstein and Jennifer Beals is Ava, a woman he creates in the same fashion as his infamous monster. So yeah, it does sound a bit like a Bride of Frankenstein remake, which is really interesting with that cast because Mm. I might have a little crush on Sting too. At least Sting (laughs) from this period so yeah i'm not averse to watching him at peak hotness essentially um but yeah it just looks fun and i like fun zany films with high concepts and this seems to hit fit the bill so yeah i will definitely try and check it out so thank you for the recommendation
1: we'll report back
0: (laughs) exactly we will share our feelings um yeah okay that's brilliant um i think that's probably a good time to transition onto our news section which will be the first time we've had one in a while because there hasn't been much news until now but for whatever reason in the last two weeks things have gone crazy yeah so there's a lot to catch up on which is fun Uh, So yeah, the first thing to talk about is that an Obi-Wan poster has been released and the show has been confirmed to debut on 25th of May, which I believe is some sort of anniversary of the release of the original Star Wars. They always have to do that. It's like, fine.
1: That's the real Star Wars day.
0: (laughs) The real Star Wars (laughs) I know you didn't mean it like that. Um, yeah, I, I'm just traumatized by the use of real relative to stars. <laughs> you know what I, I mean. I know what you mean. Like, like not sorry. not
1: May the Fourth. Yes, the actual anniversary. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. not the merchandise one. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think about this poster, Kirsty? Does it do much for you?
1: Um, not really. I mean, it, it looks fine. I'm sure. not hating. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, it's pretty much what you'd expect from a teaser poster of something that's obviously going to start at least with him. On Tatooine by himself. Yeah. um, But presumably he's not staying there.
0: (laughs) I'll admit to plagiarizing this from random Twitter comments I saw, and I can't remember who put the Twitter comments up, so I'm sorry. But it it made me laugh. So I saw people saying that this version of Obi Wan, you know, in this show, it looks just like the fan film versions of like an Obi Wan show, you know, where they basically took footage of a Jesus movie. Ewan McGregor did a while ago and you know pretended he was Obi-Wan when he was actually playing Jesus (laughs) and it just looks like he's playing Jesus again and (laughs) It's funny. There's that
1: meme of like someone having him as a framed photo, of pretending that it's Jesus. Yes.
0: I think the best thing about that meme, my favourite um, aspect of it, is the implication that you know it's like some maybe older lady, you know, someone yeah. who, like who perhaps hasn't seen Star Wars, maybe, and they just sincerely believe it's like a rendition <laughs> of Jesus. I really hope that's true somewhere in this world. You know that someone has a picture of you, McGregor, and they <laughs> think it's the Lord. Um, yeah, that'd be very funny um but yeah no it doesn't tell you much does it it's like he's in a desert he's walking along he's he looks good you know he's even well he's kind
1: of far away i mean we can't see his face oh i've seen zooms unless people have zoomed in people have my zoomed eyesight's in. not great so
0: <laughs> people. <have laughs> I'm,
1: zoomed. I'm sure he looks very cute it's ewan you know so
0: yeah i guess that's kind of relieved because you know nine years after this he looks like Alec guinness <laughs> you know so there's clearly like a lot of stress and stuff that goes down to like cause him to age radically in that nine years time span but i guess it happens he just
1: he runs out of sunscreen
0: that's yeah all. no it's true and at the end of the day if you're gonna get older i think i'd be happy about turning into alec guinness i think i was it's gonna say cool. alec guinness looks fine yeah he does <laughs> he's <laughs> like a really cool old dude um but yeah no it's a cool poster not much to say about it but we wanted to acknowledge it was here and it's nice to have a date for when this is happening as well because we weren't sure before. yeah yeah
1: there was the almost like tradition of people getting hyped for the idea of a super bowl trailer <laughs> yes i was messaging you like no <laughs> i don't have any expectation for that
0: yeah no i thought and it then might... people are always like
1: oh marvel gets so much stuff <laughs>
0: Cause they trust star wars to sell itself guys just think about it as a positive okay so then the next thing we're going to talk about is that there's apparently a mystery star wars series set to be filming in june um and we have details on this from two sources that kind of like build on each other so the first bit we have is from best spin bulletin so could you read that out please Kirsty? mm-hmm
1: In the latest issue of Production Weekly, a mystery Star Wars project with the working title Grammar Rodeo has been revealed to film in June. Production Weekly added no additional details outside of the working title and the month the project is set to film. I was told a number of weeks back by my sources that there is an unannounced project on the calendar, but I wasn't told when the project would film, what it was about, or who was attached. The only things I was told is that a familiar name was attached. They don't believe it to be set during the Mandalorian timeline and that the shoot will take place at Manhattan Beach Studios.
0: Lovely. Um, And yeah, then there's just a tiny little bit more information from LRM online. Could you read that out too, please?
1: There's a Star Wars series filming around May to December in Manhattan Beach. It's the High Republic series. That's what I guess was going to be. Uh, working title is Grammar Rodeo. Okay, they got slightly mixed up between rodeo and radio. <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, this is interesting. Um, there have been vague rumours about a High Republic live action show for a little while. Um, so based on the extra detail from LRM online, it seems like this that is indeed what this is. We'll know when we know, you know, I expect, you know, if this is going to be revealed anywhere, it'd probably be revealed as a surprise, a celebration. But yeah, what do you think about the prospect of a live action High Republic show, Kirstie?
1: Um, Sounds good, because I'm kind of eager for more live action stuff that's not part of the Mandalorian timeline, and all those things like interconnecting. Yeah. So if it's something that stands alone, it's more of like a self-contained story, Um with arcs that you can follow within that one thing. That sounds great.
0: Yeah, no, same. And I'm just, I I think I'd be really keen on something that's completely removed from any timeline we've seen on screen before. I think I'd be really interested in that, you know, because then there is that pressure where they have to create brand new characters and they have to kind of like justify the show's existence in its own right, if that makes sense. You know, it can't just Mm. be a question of, oh, look, famous person, you know, from another Star Wars thing. You know. Well, if it's High
1: Republic, they might include some of the characters. Sure. From that, right?
0: Yeah, but I, I guess like, you know, no one from the High Republic has like name recognition for the general public. You know, obviously. Except s- Yoda. Yes, that is true, except for Yoda. <laughs> I have actually seen people speculating that the whole grammar thing in the code name of the show could relate oh. to Yoda, you know, because obviously Yoda yeah. famously has messed up grammar. <laughs> um, but who knows. In a way I'd prefer if he wasn't in it, but whatever. If it has to be you know, if we have to get Yoder in this thing, it's okay, I can deal with that. <laughs> you know. It's better than the alternatives. <laughs> um, yeah. And also I don't have the reports here, um, but there are also reports about them casting a bunch of kids for this. Um, I think children like aged between like ten and twelve. So like okay. quite young children rather than teenagers. Um and yeah, that's quite interesting to me because yeah, they're definitely setting themselves an extra challenge because finding you know, really good, talented kid actors is quite something. It might suggest this is going to be aimed at a slightly younger audience than usual, but I think that's also a good thing, you know, I feel like we've had a lot of Star Wars content that's very much aimed at people who are kids in the 70s, you know, and I think it would be nice to have Star Wars content that's aimed at people who are kids right now, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the actors have been older as well, haven't they, which in some ways has been great, Um, but Yeah, to mix it up a little, it'd be cool to have some younger characters.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, cool. Um, Then the next thing we want to talk about is the news that John Williams is apparently contributing to the musical score of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, Yeah, and this is from Variety. Could you read out the description that we have, Kirsty?
1: More than two years after completing his ninth Star Wars movie, composer John Williams is returning to the Jedi fold with a theme for Obi-Wan Kenobi, Variety Has Learned. Williams has written the musical signature for the continuing adventures of the character, played by Ewan McGregor, airing on Disney Plus beginning May 25th. He recorded last week with an LA orchestra under tight security, sources say. It's a coup for both Lucasfilm and Disney, considering the five-time Oscar winner rarely composes for television his last theme for a weekly dramatic series was amazing stories in 1985 although he has written two for pbs series masterpiece theater in 2000 great performances in 2009 and his news and olympic themes written decades ago continue to air on nbc i think similarly to how he returned to do han solo's scene for that movie yeah. it's like this is a character who he's obviously he has a connection to going right back to 77 so it it makes sense
0: yeah no, no, it does make sense. And um yes, I guess when Obi Wan appears in the original Star Wars he's often associated with the Force theme. But he doesn't really have like a distinct like motif that's his alone, kind of. So yeah, I could definitely see John coming back to give that to the character, essentially, where he has like his own distinct identity and hopefully some really cool blending of that theme with the force theme, because Yeah, if there's anything John Williams can do really well, it's blending themes and creating synergies between them. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see what he comes up with. Me too. Um, Yeah, and then we actually have another piece of music news. So it's all going absolutely crazy with the music news recently, apparently. Um, And yeah, this is from Film Music Reporter, and it's about the score to the Andor series. Could you read this out, Kirsty?
1: Nicholas Patel from Succession, Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk, Don't Look Up, Cruella, Vice, The Big Short, The Underground Railroad Wow, what a resume, (laughs) my goodness (laughs) Has been tapped to score the upcoming Disney Plus original series, Andor The show is developed by Tony Gilroy, Michael Clayton And stars Diego Luna, who will reprise his role of Cassian Andor from 2016's Rogue One, A Star Wars Story Blah, 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 you know the rest Sorry, I'm not going to read all that out. No, no, no.
0: Sorry, that's my fault for not um actually proofreading what I had included. No, it's before. okay. It's
1: just kind of going through like the, the cast that we're already aware of and like the time frame 5 years before the events of Rogue One. Yeah no um, no you absolutely no don't need to read that, that
0: out yeah <laughs> no you're good um yeah it's actually quite funny the like tedious level of detail these things go into but at the same time i need to remember these articles aren't written for people like us There,
1: exactly they're for people who might just be checking it out for the yeah. first time
0: they're like oh what's an andor
1: <laughs> <laughs> and i do think that this news could interest a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have paid attention to it because his music is so good
0: yeah, no, I've seen um from that list, I've seen Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk, Cruella and the Underground Railroad and yeah, music top notch in all of them. You know, he's clearly a super, super talented guy.
1: Oh, I've I've seen all the um, Adam McKay ones listed there and Succession. I, I love the theme for that too. And the Underground Railroad, especially, I was listening to that after the story was announced. Um, God, the music for that show is amazing. Yeah. I mean, the whole show is amazing. But yeah, the music really works with it.
0: Yeah, no, I remember that score being super moving. Um, oh my God, he's only born in 1980. How can you have? Oh. been so bloody accomplished and so young. Okay,
1: overachiever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Um, but yeah, no, it's it's really good news. Obviously, I feel like the music that we have in Star Wars media has always been one of the bright spots. You know, even in stuff where we've intermittently had issues, like The Mandalorian. We've always loved music, you know, so I think the composers they get on board, they're always really, really talented. So, yeah, this seems like another great one to add to the fold. So, yeah, very curious to see what he comes up with.
1: Have you not watched Succession yet?
0: Um, have I not watched Succession? I think I tried, and I I remember talking to you about it ages ago, and I watched, like, the first episode, and, and it was good. You know, it's obviously a high-quality show, but it just didn't hook me. And I know I've read people say, you know, you've got to keep watching, and it really, like, does get super engaging as you go on. Um, But now my, like, subscription to that service has lapsed, you know, so I don't have mm. the means of watching it. Um, If I subscribe again, I might check it out, but... Yeah, not a huge priority right now though i know everyone is obsessed so and i keep seeing succession tweets well, so.
1: yeah i mean it's it's the fandom has really built up around it online which is really funny like the concept <laughs> of a succession fandom yeah i
0: do see some bizarre <laughs> memes but they're always entertaining so yeah. it is a very
1: yeah it's a funny show but um i had a similar experience i watched the pilot and i was like yeah that was good but I don't get the appeal, but it's because everyone's awful, but yeah. as it goes on, obviously, a lot of those relationships deepen and develop, and you get kind of the history behind things, and it becomes pretty compelling.
0: Yeah. No, I can definitely see the appeal, um, and yeah, like, it's a great cast. Um, so, yeah, lots to love there, but I just haven't got round to it yet. <laughs> At, least, At I- least listen to the music. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can listen to that for free, so that's no problem. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and then the last story is possibly the most important. Um, it's about a new book release that's been announced. Um, so, yeah, could you read out what I've highlighted? Please, Kirsty, to share this incredible news with everyone. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, <laughs> It's very much up our alley. Um, we've seen the courtship of Princess Leia unfold on screen. Oh,
0: I see what they did there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, go on.
1: Now a new book cordially invites fans to attend the wedding of Leia Organa and Han Solo. This Valentine's Day, StarWars.com is thrilled to reveal Star Wars The Princess and the Scoundrel, a new novel from author Beth Revis arriving this summer. Set just after the events of Star Wars Return of the Jedi, the story begins on the forest moon of Endor, where Han proposes in the elation of the rebel victory against the Empire. After a ceremony at the site of the victory celebration at the end of the film, the newlyweds depart for a honeymoon aboard the Haukian Star Cruiser. The luxury vessel at the heart of the new Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience at Disney World Resort. In their most desperate hour, with the war still raging, (laughs) but the Empire nearing its last gasp, the couple must outwit the Imperial remnants clinging to power.
0: Oh my (laughs) god! This is so funny. Like, Obviously, you know, because of the nature of our interest in Star Wars, you know, and the way we roll, like, I think we're both interested in this story, you know, like it's an, it is a different kind of Star Wars story. Um, So yeah, I'm personally really keen to see like a romantic story for a change. You know, it's been a long, long time. Um, So yeah, that's great. The stuff about it being on the Galactic Star Cruiser is hilariously cynical.
1: (laughs) It's extremely bold of them. (laughs) we never talked about it because we we kept like mentioning it it's like oh we need to bring this up on the show but it just got away from us but when they released the prices for just how expensive (laughs) that hotel was gonna be we were in shock yeah like insanely expensive like how can anyone afford that i guess there are rich people out there who will but like oh my god i'm kind of yeah, I'm very curious. Uh, to let see me type how it in. I've forgotten exactly
0: how expensive it is. How much is. Blocked <laughs> it out. Star Wars. Is it Galactic Star Cruiser? Okay, yeah, it's come up. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I don't want to see this, do I? I often never go in, so it's all purely academic. Um. Okay, right. So on the Galactic Star Cruiser website, these are the prices, apparently two guests per cabin. Um, and that's $1,209 per guest per night or $4,809 for each total (laughs) Bloody hell. Or, if you get four guests in a cabin, and that's three adults and one child, then it's $749 per guest per night, or $6,000 for each total. Which is, like, pure insanity to me. Mm. I don't know... Yeah, I I don't know where the money for that would come from, but I'm sure lots of people do with that money, and they're going to go, and now I just sound bitter, but...
1: And also, just how is it going to be worth it? Like, you know, Disneyland... I get it, people like it. I've enjoyed it when I've been, but like how can it possibly be worth all of that money?
0: And I've said it before, you know, I've been to Starles Celebration twice, once in London and once in Chicago. And I enjoyed it both times. You know, it was great to see my friends, you know, and there's obviously lots of stallsy goodness. But I think also going made me realise that it's not necessarily my type of scene, you know, that level of constant exposure to (laughs) stores. You know, and this hotel is like that ramped up to the next level. You know, you don't like leave to go to like a bloody pizza restaurant in Chicago, you know Are in the star wars world like 24 7 you know until you yeah might leave and it's just too much for me like i've honestly i think even if it was free you know someone said we i want you to go out and review it no one would ever say that just to be clear in a purely <laughs> hypothetical world i'm not sure i'd say yes because i don't think i'd enjoy it very much
1: i would you know obviously i don't know yeah. until you try it but like um it doesn't appeal to me at all yeah. to be honest and you know if I ever went to like Disneyland again, obviously I'd visit the Galaxy's Edge thing. But in terms of like Star Wars, the concept of it being an immersive experience, I'm like, Star Wars has never been that kind of fantasy world where I've been like, oh, I'd love to live in that world. <laughs> no, it's kind of the opposite.
0: It's <laughs> like, so, oh, God, I don't live in that hellscape. Wow. <laughs>
1: Everyone's miserable, miserable, it's war-torn galaxy dystopia, that's all the point. Yeah. Like, I know it's meant to be ultimately hopeful, but in terms of, like, the actual goings-on, yeah. no thanks. Yeah, um, And the uh, even the idea of being on a regular cruise does not appeal to me. Sure. So the idea of being stuck on a fake cruise where there are no real <laughs> windows to the outside <laughs> world actually sounds kind of nightmarish.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just... <laughs> Not fun sounding to me. Um, but what I am interested in is seeing other people review it. Oh, me too. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll be. We've both for seen that Jenny Nicholson's going right, and yeah, eagerly awaiting that review. So I hope. That yeah, comes I've out seen everything. a few
1: other people say that they've got things booked as well. So, yeah, I'll be waiting for those reactions.
0: Exactly, that would be great. It'll be free. Get all the deets you need. It's going to be brilliant.
1: But anyway, in terms of like a story about Han and Leia as newlyweds, yeah. Sounds great. Yes. Hope there's lots of actual romance there, but obviously it's taking place as the war is still ongoing, so there's going to be lots of conflict there, and presumably Han and Leia aren't thrilled about the idea of being on a cruise as that's happening. Yeah. Like it's sweet that Han proposed right after. You know, that's a fairy tale ending to Return of the Jedi, so that makes sense. Is it just
0: me, or is that like? Does that basically mean they get engaged and then they like get married the same day, right? Or, or am I like missing? I don't know if.
1: It, I guess it's not clear. How long they were there? They might have stayed for a few days, or yeah, yeah. It might have just been like, let's get married, okay? Because you know they just won a war and are feeling pretty good.
0: Yeah, <laughs> didn't want the bullshit, like no huge ceremony or anything. Just wanted to get married. Yeah,
1: and then go on a luxury cruise.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Didn't you say that you'd um, read somewhere like an implication that it wasn't necessarily their choice that they were going on this cruise? So I think of-
1: that, yeah, one of the editors on Twitter was hinting because it doesn't seem like something Leia would be up for. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that could make it a bit more acceptable to me and also quite funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, and obviously Beth Revis, the um, author of this book, I know she wrote a um, Jin Erso book previously and I didn't read that but you did, Kirsty. W- yeah, about that? Rebel
1: Rising. It's, it's been a long time but I remember it being enjoyable and there were some yeah interesting elements between Jin and new characters within that story nice um yeah so i I can see her leaning into the romance for sure
0: yeah that's brilliant um yeah and i'm glad she got the gig she seems like a really nice person Um, could you read out the interview with her actually so i felt like it just gave a great insight into you know her process
1: Mm -hmm. starwars.com asked her how did you approach this story The first thing I did was watch all three of the original movies again. How am I lucky enough that this is my job? My initial instinct was to focus on Return of the Jedi, since this book picks up right after it. But as I dug into the story, I found myself watching The Empire Strikes Back on repeat. The emotional beats of Han and Leia's relationship start to spin out in Empire. It's not just the famous I know line, but it's the way Leia relates, how she doesn't trust Lando and Han responds with seriousness, the way their trust builds, all the moments that lead up to their confession of love. By the time Return of the Jedi picks up the story, Leia's been left with that confession long enough to get comfortable with the idea of it. It's one reason why the relationship between the two works. Leia was always going to be someone who had to think about something like love, and Han was always going to be someone who just followed his gut. The time lapse between those two movies helped them both evolve, so that they're on the same page by the time Han is unfrozen. I took pages and pages of notes on their dialogue, their mannerisms, the subtle ways they interacted, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford are simply brilliant actors, and they gave me a lot to work with. I wanted this to be a story where the past was still present, but they were moving forward into new territory. It's an emotional journey. The aftermath of war always is, but so is the newfoundling steps of love.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. Um, Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, I just think it shows like a real sensitivity to what should really matter in a story like this, you know, where it's not about plot mechanics is about the dynamic of these characters and why they love each other you know and why they just click so well you know and yeah it seems like beth really gets all that and i really appreciate the clear care and attention that she has given to the relationship it all sounds really promising to me
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah
0: same so do you think at this um galactic star cruiser experience there's gonna be a honeymoon suite and they're gonna be like ben solo was conceived here
1: I don't know if they'll say that explicitly, but I can see them advertising a honeymoon suite because it's another way to make more money,
0: right? No, I can definitely <laughs> see that. It could maybe be like a nudge, nudge thing from the like cast members, and they're like, oh, do you know what happened next? <laughs> Sorry, I'm going too far. Yeah, I think we can read between the lines. Yep. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna reel it back from there now. <laughs> reel it back from myself. Um, Okay, great. And yeah, what we will do now is go back to the book of Boba Fett, which I realise very strangely, now I think about it, we haven't mentioned once, and it's just had its season finale. So it's quite a big thing. But I guess because we're recording a bit of a gap from it, you know, it's been over a week since the finale, already feels like a bit distant, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that's probably why we haven't mentioned it until now. We're like a future looking podcast, you know, we're looking at what's ahead. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we still will talk about it because we want to finish what we started. So the final episode of the season was In the Name of Honor. And basically it was a big old fight. It was like a big bash, like lots of people punching and firing guns and pew-pew, 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 pew pew. Um, But yeah, what was your overall thoughts on this episode, Kirsty? How did you feel about it?
1: I mean, in case it wasn't clear last time, my expectations could not have been lower. So in a way, that worked out well.
0: Yeah, definitely. You seemed pleasantly surprised when I texted you about it.
1: I mean, yes, but the standards were extremely low, honestly. I was just like, oh, thank God they went back to that story. Like, it's ostensibly about Boba Fett here. Obviously, it's very plot-driven and, as you say, very heavy on the action, which you'd expect from a Robert Rodriguez finale. Um, But, you know, Grogu shows up, but thank God Luke wasn't in the X-Wing too. (laughs) And, you know, it was about Boba. I mean, I was a bit bummed that Fennec was out of the picture for most of it, but...
0: I mean, she got a great assassination scene at the end she
1: did but it was a bit contrived that she like had to be out of the way and i was just like oh, okay i guess they needed that so that din and boba could be more buddy buddy yeah but
0: No, they're like bros now they're like bros for life yeah that's that's fine yeah.
1: it's just it means that we've got to the end of the show and i still don't feel like i know anything different with fennec <laughs> yeah this is true um, so it is what it is and it's not like i disliked the part that you know, Din and Boba were there. I thought that stuff was great. I love that the Rancor showed up and everything. Love that Grogu had his force moment. So what was there was fine. I think it just in a way like highlights the flaws with the the series overall. But it's like a weird I, I didn't realise this until I spoke to you about some of the grumblings from other fans online who maybe thought that it was gonna go in a different direction and it would be keep going down that path of the story with Luke.
0: Yeah. No, that was to, definitely to, a thing. For me,
1: kind of veering back to Boba is the thing that like rescues the series as, as well as it can. Um, but of course, I would have liked more Boba across the show, because that's what I thought it was going to be about.
0: Yeah. It, it's like a very, very odd season, I think. Um, just to give some thoughts on the episode itself, before we have like a wider discussion about the season as a whole, I thought it was a fun episode. You know, it's yeah. obviously very action-oriented, Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, and I found the action fun and entertaining. There's obviously lots of silly logic gaps and stuff, you know, but I think ultimately it's a very silly show.
1: (laughs) It is very silly. (laughs) It's like, oh, the power of friendship, all of these groups coming together to help Boba out, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. It was like childish logic, but there's also something quite pure-hearted about it, you know, that I could get along with. So, yeah, that wasn't necessarily a bug for me, you know. It was kind of like dumb, but in an in an adorable way. (laughs) I was like, oh, look, they're all friends. Isn't that nice? You know, that sort of thing. Um, And yeah, like, it was a real relief to see the X-Wing arrive and then Luke not get out of the X-Wing, like Kirsty said. Um, So I must say, my heart heart sunk when I first saw that thing. You know, I was like, oh God, what are they doing? (laughs) You know, I really... Well, because as it is, it's like...
1: Luke just sent Grogu by himself.
0: Yeah, I know. And I think that's actually, in itself, quite a bold statement on Luke's character in this thing. (laughs) You know, and I don't think that was accidental. I think they must know what they're doing, you know, by framing it in that way, because it's not a good look for him. You know, everyone loves Grogu. He's obviously coded as a baby. And I know that Grogu wasn't in any danger, you know, because obviously R2 was there, you know, and it was all being like pre-programmed, you know, it was like a safe journey. Um, but it still feels very cold, you know, when Luke so deliberately and majestically took Grogu into his care <laughs> at the end of season two of the Mandalorian. He's like, uh, "No, you're not. Gonna, you're not cut out for this, kid." <laughs> he just like rejects him.
1: <laughs> I think it's really hilarious that Grogu and Din are just like back together by the start of season three, yeah. as if <laughs> it's just like there was such a build up to the finale there, and it's very like yeah it's like imbued with this like grand thing of like luke coming in very serious and taking him away and this emotional music as (laughs) grogu and diana staring at each other and then he goes down and it's just it's so funny to me that like anyone who hasn't watched these episodes is going to come back to season three and be like wait what
0: yeah (laughs) <laughs> or if you're my dad and you never really watched The Mandalorian, you're like, hang on, who's that little green guy? <laughs> yeah. So there's many layers of confusion. Um, I think what they really need to do, I think they need to focus on telling stories that are more self-contained. And like I say that, like I know they bloody love their ca- cameos, you know, and I know they love having characters show up from other things. I'm not saying they can't do that. I think there's a way, and there must be a way, but they can tell a really good, strong story that exists in its own right, while also incorporating people and in elements from other stories. You know, because I feel like even though this final episode was fun, you know, there's lots of like good action. There are some like really adorable moments. Like overall, you know, I look back at the season as a whole and like, what was this story? <laughs> you know, I guess the story is that Boba Fett now wants to become a crime boss. And so he sets Not a, a
1: crime boss, though. He wants to be, like, mayor.
0: Yeah, no, okay, so let me rephrase. So Boba My Fett town. wants to become, like, the mayor, <laughs> you know, the guy in control of, like, Tatooine, I guess. You know, that's his ambition. We never find out why that's his ambition. It's never articulated. And, like, a lot of the time with Boba is, like, devoted to, like, showing him supposedly forging alliances but it all feels incredibly unconvincing you never really understand why anyone would take this guy seriously <laughs> or ally themselves with him and then it kind of just ends with like a big battle where I guess we're told that he wins and then he is like the mayor of Tatooine or whatever the but hell
1: But then he he, he's saying to Fennec, oh I don't think No, so e- exactly! It's like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So and- you've just got rid of you got rid of Jabba, or oh, no, not rid of Jabba Bib Fortuna Took over, like banished the pikes or whatever, and then you're leaving? It's-
0: yeah. And I can almost tell you what, what they're going to do because it's so bloody predictable. I think, you know, they're obviously healing Cobb Vamp in the end. Yeah, you know, it's going to be him. Boba's going to be like, Look, no, I've tried it. It's not really for me. Oh, how about you, Cobb? I think you'd be a brilliant man for this job. And he'll be like, Yeah, I agree. I think I'd be good at this. See, yeah, I'll take over. And then Boba's free to, like, swan off and do whatever the hell he used to do and then it just kind of renders this moot it's like so bizarre
1: yeah I think I got it wrong last time because I was like oh I think Boba's gonna give Cobb the armour back but I think instead he's just gonna give him his job
0: yeah no I agree Um, I'll tell you what I think they might be doing I think they might be setting up for you know a situation where they're obviously gonna do like a return to Mandalore thing you know, and I think they're going to try to like reassert like Mandalore as a planet, you know, and get the Mandalorian people back there. And I think you know Din and Boba, because they're like bros, they're going to like do that together, you know. And then there might be something about. How Boba's experience of ruling is going to come in handy. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not going to feel convincing because I'm not remotely convinced that he knows what he's doing.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, you just kind of have to go with the the premise, as ridiculous it, as it is, yeah. to get any enjoyment out of the show. You just have to like buy into the fact that they haven't really earned any of this development. Yeah. They just say it. Well, yeah, it's it's very shoddily done. Yeah. And I think presumably even people who have enjoyed it and think that you know it was good for what it was by agree with me here you know none of this stuff was done particularly well it was very rushed and it was dropped halfway through the show for luke yeah so i don't
0: know yeah and i just think (laughs) it was very shallow overall you know there was no like attempt to like really like look at these people as people you know and engage with you know their histories and why they were like they they were there were like references you know so we keep on getting that reference that visual reference to Boba Fett when he was a child you know in the prequels but nothing comes of it you know mm-hmm. all we get from that is that he was once a boy and i guess he missed his dad you,
1: you well then know? you get the you get Cad Bane talking to him about that like and that's that's it it's like oh yeah i knew you when you were a kid and oh you're trying to be like your dad and What are you trying to do now? I'm confused. Exactly. And
0: the thing is, if they hadn't had those two completely random episodes, you know, the Mandalorian episode, and then what the hell the episode of Luke and Ahsoka was, like, they would have had time to, like, seed you know, Cad Bane being a presence earlier and actually develop the history between them, you know, and make you understand what these people are to each other. Because as it stands, it's just assuming that you've seen the Clone Wars <laughs> and you know that they have a pre-existing relationship from that. Like, I know it factually, you know, because I'm a weirdo who reads Wikipedia articles, but I've never seen the Clone Wars. I feel like zero emotional attachment to any of that stuff.
1: I don't think a lot of yeah that supposed connection between them doesn't even make it into the final show. It's like um, abandoned arcs oh, for really? the, the Clone Wars. Oh yeah. wow, I
0: didn't realise it was that niche i think it's all just
1: kind of assumed that yeah there's there's a connection there and you know obviously cad bane interacts with fennec in the bad patch but like who cares i don't i don't know i i i know that there are fans who were excited to see cad bane show up i'm not talking about like that being like if those fans feel that way who am i to say they're wrong i just think there's like all of all of these cameos they do come at the expense of the protagonist they're not really there to like help with Boba's journey
0: yeah and I was also really disappointed that you know so like I think I kind of told myself that the stuff of the Tuscans earlier that there had to be more to it you yeah know, after I thought there massacred. was like a shred
1: of hope that he would they would show up yeah exactly
0: <laughs> and obviously they didn't you know and it like even that dialogue from Cad Bane at the end about the Tuscans just reinforced that the sole reason he befriended them and they were then massacred was for character development for Boba. That
1: whole thing Which... between like the Pikes revealing it to Bane and then him revealing it to Boba, I was like, that was a really weird way of conveying that <laughs> to the audience. Because by the time you get to Cad Bane relaying it to Boba, it's like, well, we already know that. And there's not that much of a reaction from him and boba is already against the pikes at that point so what does it do exactly yeah <laughs> just like so many of these like writing choices that i'm like what is that there for Are you just trying to pad things out so much of it just feels like first draft yeah which could have turned into something good i just like did they just need to get something out in the gaps between like mando and and kenobi or
0: i really suspect that's the case to be honest it kind
1: of surprises me because we knew for years that a story of boba fett was in development and i guess to be honest we'd heard about that even before like mando came out so maybe some of what they had reserved or like were starting to develop with boba's character there then went into mando's character and his story so then they had to scramble for something else for boba fett but like it's just it's frustrating because there are bare bones there with like what Tem is doing that with that performance but he has to do so much because he has so little to work with
0: yeah exactly so I think most of what worked in the show it wasn't it certainly wasn't to do the writing I think it was because the actors you know they're fun and they're entertaining and they, they have like a nice rapport of each other um, and yeah and Tem was definitely a highlight for me because he was just so likable and charming, you know? And it, like, maybe wasn't how I imagined Boba Fett to be, you know, based on my prior exposure to the character. But I like this Boba Fett, you know? He's just, like, a swell guy, you know? I I was rooting for him, even though there was nothing in the writing to make it make sense. That sense.
1: That's what's weird. We're in this weird limbo where it's like, well, I like what Tem did with him, but how can I be invested in Boba Fett if... The, even the creators don't seem invested in yeah. him. This was so half-ass. Like <laughs> you, you just dropped all of that stuff. Yeah, and like they can point to the finale now and be like, "No, look, we brought back the mods. We brought back these. They like made friends with this character and blah blah." But like, it just felt so sloppy. Um, I don't know. Yeah, like I guess I'm 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 expecting too much. I guess I don't know.
0: The thing is, I I don't feel like it is too much, you know, to expect like. A story about Boba Fett from the show called The Book of Boba Fett.
1: Wait, have you heard of this Peacemaker show?
0: I have heard of it. Yeah, I'm really keen to watch it, but it's not yeah. but broadcast to deal for the UK yet, so I can't. Um, have you seen it?
1: No, I haven't yet, but I plan to, because I've seen a lot of people talking about it, and I think the finale was this week. So that's that's out of like the new version of Suicide Squad. Yes, right, that's right. And I think it's meant to be a sequel, I'm not actually sure, but it follows that character... And it's so, it's like a spin off series, but it follows that character, and you can kind of watch it, and it has its own arcs and stakes and villains. Yeah. And this all sounds pretty standard, but I think people are comparing it to the Book of Boa Fett now because they're like, that's what this could have been. Yeah. You know, if if a little more thought had been put into it.
0: Yeah. I really do think a lot of it probably does come down to time. And like you say, they're being pressure to have something. ready for a certain time slot and I guess the thing with the book of Boba Fett is that because it is so similar to the Mandalorian you know in terms of having lots of the same characters and stuff it would have been relatively easy to make you know in terms of them having a lot of those resources already you know because they already had lots of Tatooine stuff from making the Mandalorian
1: yeah but then they come in and upstage him
0: yeah and they, really and they totally do been. I'm not saying it makes for a good show I think I'm just saying that in terms of the practicalities of why the show exists and why it is so shoddy why it does feel so rushed and half-assed is because it's literally just something they piece together from the random other stuff they happen to have <laughs> lying around <laughs> which is not fair just... to Tim or anyone I don't think <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think it just bums me out because you could have done something very... It's almost like they'd made it too complicated. They could have done something very simple with, you know, the themes of a character aging, his life suddenly taking him in a direction he didn't expect, a career change (laughs) sort of thing. And him and Fennec navigating that together and having lots of heart-to-hearts along the way and building this real deep friendship. And it's frustrating to me because all of that stuff sounds quite simple to do and i expect to be able to go on archive of our own and find some fix that actually explore their friendship in in depth and i just kept waiting for that and we got what like one scene after they kind of oh i think it was when you know she's revived and he's like taken her to um what's even in the term he brought her back to life yeah he <laughs> gave her, her all to those parlor Those wires. Yes. Um, And then she decides to stick around. But, like, you you need to have more than that. Yeah. Come on. It just
0: feels very unmotivated, I think, a lot of the show. You know, you don't understand why people are making the choices they're making. You know, it's like, yes, of course, Fennec is going to be grateful to Boba, you know, because, obviously, he saved her from certain death, you know, by doing that gesture for her. But...
1: But she had her own life. And then she just decides to stick around. It's like, she... Yeah, she she was a very successful, renowned bounty hunter. And then she decides to stay in one place, something she's probably not done in decades, if ever. Yeah. That's a huge decision and it's not given any kind of weight.
0: Exactly. And again,
1: like you say, it doesn't need like an explanation in terms of a, a logical one, but it needs an emotional one and it's just not there. Yeah. It could have been a very simple I've never had anyone who's cared about me enough to do something like that. Yeah.
0: No, exactly. You it know? doesn't take a lot. Yeah. Um. And again, that's another thing that points to them just not having much time and rushing it. It's like you say, like you said earlier, it feels like a first draft, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. And like another thing, and I, I'm sorry, this is really bad. This is like, um, is it like backseat driving? You know, is that what they call it, where you're kind of like, oh, well, I would do this.
1: Well, um, you know, we're just talking. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. And I guess it's like, <laughs> you're not like adding John Favreau on for this <laughs> is <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I guess what would the podcast be if we didn't do this to some extent? Um. Yes, I guess another aspect of it is something like the mods, you know, because those are characters, they show up because apparently they've been stealing water, and then Boba Fett obviously, you know, helps them out and is like, look, man, you have to sell them water for cheaper, you know, this is ridiculous. So he's on their side, and then that instantly makes them loyal to him, and then there's like nothing from them until the end, you know, where they help out a bit with the big battle, and that's it, you know, and it's kind of like, why... (laughs)
1: Yeah, and they're, you know, their own people with their own subculture, their own relationships, Yeah, and just not... And I saw a really good point,
0: because the thing is, it would have been relatively easy to make the story about them tie into the whole idea of the drug trade on Tatooine, and obviously yes, it's a cliche, you know, have the teenage characters like, involved in the drug <laughs> trade I know that, but... The- come on Book of Boba Fett is not above cliche okay guys and the thing is they could have like integrated that you know so you felt the stakes more about this drug trade you know you need to see what harm it's causing you know because yes obviously drugs are bad you know I don't think anyone <laughs> is cheering for like drugs to be trafficked through Tatooine but it would just make it much more personal you know if we got to know characters who were personally affected by the drug trade maybe you know maybe, maybe. one of their friends overdosed on the show I I don't know. Yeah,
1: there's nothing there. It's just like something for Boba to oppose as he seems to oppose all crime and yet wants to be a crime lord. It's like what are you doing then?
0: Yeah. Exactly, and he's, like, I love... Why don't
1: you run for mayor? Yeah,
0: and I love the, like, complete lack of, like, self-awareness in terms of, like, all the people he's likely murdered <laughs> for the course of his career. Yeah. There's, like, zero angst. <laughs> Ex-
1: yeah, there's not any reflection on that, that's the thing. It is, like, I you know, I love the idea of him having this near-death experience and going a very different way because of that, but there's not any exploration of that, it just happens. Yeah
0: the place is a hell of a big burden on tam i must say because you'd have to be like a bloody oscar level actor to convey all that with literally no reference to it in the script
1: but that's why i thought they'd have someone like fennec there and i guess that conversation they have where they're like well we worked for them but they didn't know what they were doing yeah it it's like that could have just been a bit more self-reflective and like yeah is that what we want to do with the rest of our lives like
0: Exactly, yeah. yeah I and know. I think that's what's frustrating about the show because, in so many ways, it becomes close to doing the things that we're talking about. And there's just so many missed opportunities. And-
1: there are missed opportunities, but again, I have to say, like, the actual fundamental structure of the show if they had, like, if it was planned out that, okay, episode five is going to be Mando, episode six is going to be Luke and Ahsoka and Grogu, it's like, what were you thinking? Yeah. How. I don't know. To me, that doesn't work at all. I know it has for other fans. Yeah. I just, I've never seen a show like that. And I'm not saying that in a good way.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You're not like, wow, I've never seen anything like this.
1: It's a very clumsy attempt for them to like interconnect these stories together. Which is like, yeah, I get that that was like the goal with Mando being the original. Then they spin off this, Ahsoka and Rangers. But like, there's got to be a better way to do that. It's so clumsy.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. But yeah, to end on a slightly lighter and more fun <laughs> note, um, I do want to highlight some of the things I liked that I haven't had time for yet. Um but primarily amongst them is Pelly and that Twilek major domo and What's his name? He doesn't have one. What? So I know, I was looking this up. Okay, on Wikipedia. He's a recurring character. Yeah, I know, so if, if anywhere would have his name, it would be on Wikipedia, right? He's just mm. called Twi'lek Domo, which wow. honestly blows my mind. Like, mm. I don't need them to say it on screen, but you'd think they'd at least, you know, give him a name in the credits or something. It's really bizarre. Um. Okay. But yeah. I, I, did, I guess let's just call him Major Domo because I don't want to have to say Twilight Major Domo every time. Um, but yeah, they were cute. They had a nice little spark together and they were fun. Mostly because the actors were fun. And I really appreciated that because, again, sometimes it's like bizarrely self-serious. <laughs> some of the elements of the show. So yeah, yeah, I really did appreciate getting like some levity through those characters and I thought they were like a bit adorable because i know we're inevitably going to revisit tasuin you know in the next iteration of the mandalorian or whatever i really hope they're like going steady at that point you know i want to see them like established <laughs> as a couple um he could have turned his life around you know they're like a nice little pair yeah i just think it could be really cute
1: yeah i think he's probably done working for the the mayor right yes didn't seem like such a sweet gig anyway did find it funny when he was sent out to like read boba's terms
0: oh yeah <laughs> that was great yes <laughs> no, i also felt genuinely sorry for him and obviously it's all comedic you know so i'm not like oh my god this poor guy you know I wasn't like in tears or anything um but it, it's just like really shitty you know it seems like no one likes him apart from Pelly.
1: He is really annoying for most of the series. It's only really this one where you're like, okay, he's not bad.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, he he definitely. And I think he is still quite annoying, but in a more like yeah, he is annoying. fun and charming way, if that makes sense. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's all testament to the actor. Isn't the actor like a well known comedian?
1: Oh, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Let me see. Who is it? What has
0: he done? Okay. This is so ridiculous. Okay, the Wikipedia page of this guy is even better. It's called Unidentified Twilight Major Domo. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to say it? that every time. Okay, what's the actor called? Um, duh, 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 duh. he's played by David Pasquezzi. Very apologies for the pronunciation of that. Okay, let's see. Uh, so he's been in always oh, in Groundhog Day. i um, in Veep.
1: Oh yeah, I recognize apparently. this guy yeah oh, he's in at home with Amy Sedaris. Ah,
0: perfect.
1: So they've worked together before so they have history yeah.
0: right. that makes complete sense then,
1: yeah, now, I recognize him out of the costume,
0: right, yep. and that's another reason to um have them get together in the show um so yeah, I hope that happens um there's also like a bit of a spark between um. Oh, God, what's her name? The city rat and the uh, town rat, like, you know... Uh, drash. Drash, and... Oh, God, what's the other one called?
1: Did did she have a name?
0: Uh, let's find out. <laughs> In the name of honour. Again, that was another real, really irritating thing for me about this episode... Because they kind of make a thing, you know, about the town the city rats and the like people from Freetown having like some sort of like beef with each other. But again, never established. You know, it's kind of just like, okay, I guess they have like a problem with each other. But mm. yeah, they kinda of get over it, I suppose. Um, okay, so apparently the character is called Joe. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Which I kind of love, so it continues a strong tradition of yeah. people having very ordinary human names. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so it's right up there with Ben and Luke and yeah really boring but yeah it, like there's very little to her <laughs> because she's barely a character but I guess I just like seeing people interact and I was like desperate for that in this episode in particular because it's so much action you know time like humans interacted I was like oh thank god <laughs> mm. talk to each other talk to each other more uh, but yeah, are there any um things that you particularly liked or appreciated in this? that You'd like to end on Kirsty.
1: I was glad to see the Rancor back.
0: Yes, I thought it was a,
1: a bit sucky how everyone was like shooting at him and treating him badly, yeah. and Din had to go and like attempt to <laughs> settle him. Um, yeah, I was very yeah, I think himself, I Right. Yes, I just I think again. I would have preferred Boba to be the one to like soothe him because it's his rancor. I thought that, I thought that's kind of where it was going, but I was at least glad that they picked up that thread.
0: Yeah. No, that was a really nice moment. I appreciated that.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of other things. That's, it's been a while since I watched it, obviously. So, but I, I guess we're at the point where we're just kind of looking back up at the series and just thinking about where the fandoms at now there's not much discussion about Boba Fett going on at this point it's more like everyone's looking towards Kenobi
0: yeah exactly and i guess that'll
1: be the cycle that there's always something on the horizon but i think had this series been a little more polished and had more to say people would still be kind of digesting it but yeah. there's not that much to digest so
0: yeah so i feel like even the people who liked it i think they would readily admit that it's not the most substantive show out there, you know, there's just not much to say about it, I think, you know, it's and, and to its credit, it does wrap itself up, you know, that last episode is a pretty clear conclusion and I did also appreciate that it was a happy ending you know, because I feel like yeah. we don't get enough of those in stores <laughs> it's obviously immediately undermined by Boma being like, oh, I'm not sure this is what I want in life, but <laughs> it was still a happy ending in its own right, so I was happy about that
1: Yeah, it was like, okay, this thread of it is unequivocally wrapped up will presumably see boba again in like mando at some point or one of the other spin-offs yeah but this this strand of his story is over with um yeah just it's just a shame to me that it wasn't more and again i feel silly in a way because i went into this series with zero expectations not someone who considered myself super invested in boba fett as a character but they kind of got me and then they lost me and i think that's even more frustrating yeah
0: exactly because it's almost like within like grasping distance isn't it where you're like oh i can feel something here something interesting that i can glom onto and, and it's like oh okay maybe not
1: yeah and it just makes me wonder if they feel that they they're told the story that they set out to tell or really what that was like i know that there's a fundamental of like boba fett transforming himself and like building these connections and stuff but in terms of how that's executed it's like super bare bones
0: yeah absolutely um Um, and yeah i feel like yeah, I'd love to sit down with like Favreau and you know have like a lie detector or something and just ask him you know like how happy he was with how the show turned out. And then, you can see the
1: difference in the episodes that focus on Mando how much richer of a character he is and the depth of that performance. Like they just give him much more to work with, despite the fact that you don't see his face. Yeah,
0: no, it's a pretty striking in terms of the difference. And I think it's also interesting because. I don't think it's necessarily a question of the writing being like massively better, you know, it's definitely not like winning any Academy Awards, you know, when it shifts to Mando gear. But I think it's just something because there's clarity with the character of the Mando, you know, and it's all very simple, there's not much complexity to it, but you clearly understand who that character is, like where he comes from, what he wants, what his relationships are. And I think you just don't have that same clarity with the character of Boba Fett. So I think that's why the stuff with Mando works so much better than the stuff with Boba. Yeah, like it suffers from some of the same problems, you know, in terms of like lots of exposition, heavy dialogue, lots of clunkiness, like very heavy on the action, not as much emphasis on like internal things. But I feel like what you do get, it's easier to understand and it ties back to some to a real foundation. And with Boba, you never get that real foundation. Hmm. And you know.
1: It's frustrating as well because you could have a very compelling, insightful show about someone having unclear, ambiguous motives at a crossroads in their life if the show was about that. Yeah. You know, if you were willing to explore that ambiguity and indecision, but that's not what it is on the surface level. Yeah. And yet you still don't know how to put your finger on like what he actually wants or why he wants it or how he's going about it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I feel like this is a really weird comparison. It's like, of course I make this comparison. But in terms of like Star Wars stories about characters being undecided and uncertain, you kind of get that in Kylo Ren and Ben Solo. You know, that's like the story of the trilogy, basically. (laughs) It's like, make your mind up! Um, And yeah, like that's like, in my opinion, quite a compelling story, you know, in terms of the telling of it. And it's not like super on the nose, you know? There is some like internal rumination but it's interesting how it can come across organically in that story and just feels like completely non-existent in this so yeah Mm. it's interesting
1: yeah
0: i don't like to be so negative because i did have fun
1: oh i do you know that's the thing it's not like yeah i'm not gonna say it's a good show because i don't think it is but like you know you can enjoy moments um i'm just i'm curious to see like a a gallery episode about this series if they put one out and like again kind of hear Favreau's thoughts on like what they were trying to do and whether they feel like they achieved what they wanted to do yeah I'm just like what what do you guys make of this because is this really what you wanted
0: yeah I think I'd be more interested (laughs) in the gallery episode on this than any of the gallery episodes on the Mandalorian because you can just sense it was such a troubled production (laughs)
1: Well, I don't, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm my, things might have gone smooth day to day in terms of like them getting the story down, yeah. but like, yeah, was it kind of being written on the fly, like as they were shooting? Did they really have the story laid out like this that they wanted? I'm, I'm
0: yeah, so many curious questions. How those
1: episodes of Mando slip in? Um, how much of the budget was for Luke <laughs> versus anything else?
0: Yeah, no, I'm just very confused (laughs) by the show (laughs) and maybe that's a good note to end this on confusion yeah (laughs) okay right so let's round it off so I'm Rachel and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel 1918
1: I'm Kirsty and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde
0: until next time bye bye